about the find. As always, I'm your host, Emma. This time I am wearing a short sleeve purple, purple-ish shirt, and my hair is all black and short. My eyebrows are back to black. I am of Latina descent, so I have brown skin, and I have two nostril piercings. Today I'm uh, soloing it because unfortunately Katie is not feeling that well. Hopefully she's feeling better by the next episode. But today I have with me the beautiful and kind new hire from the Academic Growth and Innovation Fund. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Diana. Um, I'm wearing a green long sleeve shirt. I wear glasses as well. My hair is dark brown and my skin is tannish because I am from Latin American heritage. And I'd just like to say thank you so much, Emma, for having me here. I'm excited. Of course, of course. I'm glad that you are now part of the AGIF team. So do you want to tell me what it was like to get hired, like what the process was like? Okay. I was really, I was really nervous starting with it, with it because I thought that you know Casey was gonna be such a like serious person, and I mean yeah he does take his job seriously, but what I really appreciate you know was that he was he was friendly and that he made you feel welcomed and you know like he it didn't he wasn't constantly bombarding you with questions he let he let you talk and like um what your interests were at the organization which I really appreciated so it didn't necessarily um, go as much of an interview. It felt like as a normal conversation, you know, just getting to know um, like each other's intentions with the, comp- uh, the organization and what direction it was heading into, as well as like where I saw myself fitting into the organization. And I felt like I could do a great job there as well as, you know, flourish and uh, um, extend my skills. Did you, how did you like hear about this position? I heard about it through a wonderful person who is currently interviewing me right now, Emma. Yeah, uh, me and Diana were friends before. Um, I worked for AJF. I mean, obviously you guys have seen me in the podcast and we had an opening and I recommended her for it. I didn't, I didn't really like, I recommended her, but she did all the work to get the position. And I think that's something I want to make very clear because she's amazing. How how did you feel about like the whole application process? It felt very professional, you know, because like somebody who is constantly just like anxious and waiting me like to always hear back is, you know, I I always, any email that I would send out, you know, they would get a quick reply from, I would um, be let known, um, I guess, when the the interview was going to happen, how we're going to do it, and things like that. What were your experiences with disability advocacy before you got this position? Uh, the experiences with disability advocacy is through a club at my high school, the Best Buddies Club. And before, I didn't really even know what Best Buddies uh, was. And it's actually one of the biggest organizations uh, dealing and helping out promoting um, like opportunities for those with disabilities. And I actually love the work that they do and getting myself involved with that organization, which is why I like to do the friendship walks every year with them. And it's just like, you know, knowing and appreciating that people come together, you know, for, for a greater cause and just like seeing everyone you know, having, having their needs met at least for a day, I realized that, wow, you know, Everything is accessible, but you just need to put in the work and, you know, 
you need to be able, you know, to put your, your foot forward and say like, okay, you know what, there's a community out there that needs us. And there's a community out there that, you know, we need to work for because there's still people like us. No, I understand 100%. What is your favorite event that you did with Best Buddies? The Friendship Walk. The Friendship, the friendship walk. walk? Yeah, yeah. The friendship what does walk. it entail? Um, the Friendship Walk pretty much uh, entails to, um, people from all over Chicago, or not even just from all over Chicago, like from, you know, all over coming together for this event. And uh, it's uh, where people that had raised money for this organization also, I guess, Come to, come together, you know, and they get rec- and they get recognized as well as the community does too, and uh, also it's a it's a safe space for them as well for people with disabilities, and it's just like letting them know that hey, there's a there's some there's people out there for you, you know, like you don't need to feel like you're doing this alone as well as you know because I feel like maybe that's probably what they felt. I feel like I can't really you know talk about their experiences much considering that I am not disabled myself. Um, but just like, you know, opening the door for them and letting them know that here we are and you know what, we're, we're willing to give, I guess, what and listen when other people haven't even given you the thought of the day, which is very disappointing if I'm being honest, because again, still people right there, man. Still people, and it's, again, it's so upsetting. I cannot express you enough how upsetting that is. But yeah, it is. Uh, growing up with my dad, when he, because uh, my dad is physically disabled, he got polio before he turned one. So he's never mm-hmm. been able to walk. And growing up with my dad, I remember always being a little bit, and like when I was younger, I think I was more annoyed because people are like, are you embarrassed that uh, you guys have to take a ramp? Because he uses crutches, but sometimes mm-hmm. they bring a wheelchair or a rolly chair, even a rolly chair, like, like a rolly chair that you would use in like a computer lab at graduations and stuff. But, or I'd be like, can I get a chair for my dad? He can't stand that long. (laughs) And people are like, are you embarrassed? I'm like, no, I'm more annoyed that you guys weren't prepared when I advised you telling you my dad is um, disabled. Also the assumptions that they make, like stop (laughs) making assumptions. It's not within your place to make assumptions about other people. And like, why would I be uh, embarrassed? Like, it's not embarrassing to have a disability. It's not uh, something that people, not only do people cannot control having a disability, it's not something that we should victim, like, or blame them. We should not be victim blaming people with disabilities. Instead, we should be holding corporations and, like, buildings accountable with the ADA protocols and even more, because how are you only going to follow uh, the standard? Why can't you just do a little bit more to help somebody who needs more accessibility? Because we can create spaces that are accommodating for them. Thing is, we just don't want to. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like, wait, let's say let's not say we don't want to, but I think like a lot of corporations are not trying hard enough. Yeah. And I think that's like devastating because I'm like, why not try? Like, it's not that hard. It really, like, I understand there's a lot of like paperwork and like sometimes there's like, uh, like, Sometimes there's things that you have to follow, but it is not hard to be a kind and a person with people with disabilities. It's not hard to be an ally, which brings me to my next question. What do you wish people understood about disabilities? Something that I wish people understood about disabilities is that uh, disabilities can be invisible. You know, not everyone sees them, such as, I guess, like a prime example of this is 
a friend told me a story when, um, you know that that um, parking spot, right? That you can park in. Um, she said that she had parked there with her brother, you know, who was disabled, but you know, you just can't tell from a, a first glance. And then so they had gotten, um, I guess, accused by let's call her Karen. Um, she's like, oh, you can't, you can't park there. He, um, no, none of you are clearly disabled. And uh, it was just a very upsetting moment because like, okay, who are you to make assumptions about a person who you don't even know? Okay, they are, they are parked there for a reason. Those spots are there for a reason. Does disability have a look? No, no, it doesn't. And I think people should understand that more, that disability does not have a look. So I think it's, it's more so like, when people put like images of people like in a, in a disability um, sort of, I guess, like post, um, poster or something like that. And it's just like, like, is that, is that a controversial thing? I don't know because I'm, I remember doing for an Autism Speaks presentation, you know, covering the controversy that they did. Yeah. That's just like, we kind of tried to avoid putting the faces of people on there because it's just like, we didn't want, you know, to raise any more controversy about the topic enough as it was. No, know? because I understand that. Like, even this is going to say it because it's not controversial. I promise. Mm-hmm. I know she's a little scared. Like, because of course I was, I understand that fear because I myself have done something with like posting about Autism Speaks on the disability page. And we removed it immediately because I didn't know. And you just learn from me. And I think that's something that I wish people understood. Um. I wish people would understood about disability because um, growing up, though I was surrounded with disability, I was also surrounded by immigrant parents who did not really understand a lot about uh, American culture and then thrown into the mix. So I'm always like, if I ever offend, I would rather accidentally offend, apologize, learn and uh, adapt and develop than to never offend because I never tried to learn. And that's something like, don't be afraid to accidentally say something controversial because you can always apologize and learn, okay? I know you're a little, Elena, I know you're a little scared. It's okay. We're all learning. We're all learning how to be better. We're learning how to be advocates. And that's gonna stay in, okay? Because <laughs> what you said matters, okay? Okay. Uh, for me, my father, like, um, I had someone who, I guess we'll call her Jake. We'll call her Jake because I can't say her name. <laughs> Well, Gary, Jake. Well, Jake uh, has seen my father before in like everyday, like everyday activities. So you know, he she's seen him get to his car. She's mm-hmm. seen that we clear the snow for him so he can get to his car. And then we saw her at uh, something that looks like a bullseye store. <laughs> and you know how they have disability parking, right? She yelled at my father for parking there because he doesn't have a disability. Mind you, he has a physical disability. Like you can see he has a disability. And it just, I looked at her and I said, well, what does disability mean to you? And she goes, oh, well, you know. And she just didn't answer. And I was like, I don't. And she was like, you know, like wheelchair. And I was like, no, ma'am. And that's something that I struggle with when it comes to universal design, even like making ads, which you'll learn. We try to be so inclusive because I mean, there's one ad that we have that it's just somebody just standing there and somebody was like, that's not the face of disability. 
And I'm like, you don't know that because disability doesn't have a face. Like I myself, who've just recently gotten like, not diagnosed per se, but who recently just signed up with the CSD with disabilities, you would you would look at me and you wouldn't think that I have a like I don't have a physical disability compared to someone like Katie who walks around with a cane. You can tell, but even then. Like sometimes she doesn't walk around with a cane and she does have physical disabilities, but you wouldn't be able to tell that until like she opens up about it. And I think that's something that like, I wish I knew how to like process because it's this tricky field of being afraid to offend, but also being like, let's be realistic here. Disabilities does not have a face. Which that is like, it's it's important to educate people about invisible and visible disabilities, which is what my next question is, is how do you think someone who is non-disabled should support those with both physical or visible and invisible disabilities? I think the first thing that I need to do is recognize your privilege as an able-bodied person, you know, and recognize that not everyone, you know, again, is going to have that what you think is a disabled look, because again, not everyone, okay, it's just, um, it's going to be in a wheelchair. Dis disability is, is different for everyone, okay? Just like uh, you said, Emma, you know, at a first glance, you wouldn't even, even be able to tell if, you know, you had some type of disability, right? As well as, you know, there, this also kind of brings me to the question that I've heard some certain debate, like, do you, like, is it your responsibility to take time out of your day, you know, to educate people about a topic that they should be educating themselves on? Or, you know, do you think like that, uh, just let them figure it out on their own? That's the thing. You see, that's tricky because I think it's both. I think you should take time out of your day. But I also like, and do my saying you need to give an hour and a half every day? No, you can look up. You have the world at your fingertips. And I think that's something that our newer generations are taking less advantage of. The fact that before people with disabilities didn't even have these amazing technologies. And now that we are becoming more high tech and having all these, like a lot of people have phones, but I understand that in the world, there's still some people who don't. Hopefully that changes in the future and everyone has accommodating resources that they can access. But I don't think the newer generations, and I, like, I don't mean this like in a blame thing, are realizing how privileged we are with this entire, like this entire system of the internet and the World Wide Web and having the whole world at the palm of our fingertips to be able to just research a question. And it's not like you would have that fear of rejection or offensive because AI or whatever this is, doesn't the software doesn't get offended. It would just give you the answers. It will give you the answers of the question that you asked. And I'm like, I think that that kind of accountability should be held. I think that you should look into disability and learn how to be an ally. But I also think it's important to um, for people who have disabilities to also advocate for themselves and be like, hey, this is what I need because me as a person like me, Emma, would not need the same accommodations as my father. And I think it's important to see the variety of disability and the variousness of it. Exactly. Also, I don't think that, you know, you should come like with the expectation that a person will educate you, you mm -hmm. know, or not for not bothering to even learn about the topic in the first place. Yes, because I think that that's important to realize that though you're speaking to people about their disabilities, 
that's mm-hmm. they're not telling you this so you can get educated they're just sharing their experience and you yourself must put together how you can be an ally when was a time where you realized that you were privileged as an able-bodied person here like i'll show you an example one time katie and i were doing a zoom we were still like new to each other in the podcast so you know we weren't like besties just yet and she was in the Lincoln Park Student Center and she dorms. She dorms at Centennial. So, you know, pretty close, at least for me. And it was raining outside. And I, she was like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to reschedule the podcast. And I said, oh, why don't you just go to your dorm? Why don't you just run to your dorm? And she goes, Emma, I can't run. And I didn't think, because in my head, even though I, at the time, I didn't know that I was, had, I had a disability, but I'm still physically able to do things. And I think that's something that I have to acknowledge me. Like I grew up not knowing about like mental health and not really like talking about it, but I was still able to get around. Like I'm, I don't have physical limitations. And in my head to avoid getting drenched, I just run to my dorm. In my head, it's one block. Even though I have asthma, I'm like, I can run a block. Katie has hardware. Katie uses a cane sometimes and the rain really affects her. And I didn't think she's going to get drenched because she didn't bring an umbrella because she didn't think it rained. And now we have to reschedule because she can't get out of the student center. She had to wait there for an hour waiting for the rain to pour so she wouldn't get drenched. And I didn't think about that. And I was like, Emma, do better. Like, and I beat myself up about that all the time. And she's like, stop beating yourself up about it. You didn't know. But I was like, it's the fact that I didn't even consider it. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like when you have that certain type of privilege, it's a little hard to recognize it because it doesn't affect you at the end of the day. But at the same time, that is why it's important that we should be allies, you know, to other people who it does affect and, you know, who it, it affects 24-7 what do you hope for with disability like what are your hopes with your advocacy Um, whether it's a small hope whether it's a big hope you can be like I hope one day the world has accessibility and like elaborate that or you can just say I hope I learn like what are you hoping to accomplish with your disability advocacy my hope for this is that uh, I honestly continue to extend my knowledge on, you know, because right now I feel like I don't know as much about disability as I like to say I know, because you can always, you know, grow and improve your knowledge. And uh, I'm going to make sure I do that as I continue to work with you guys. And uh, um, I guess if we're trying to aim a bit higher, then I would say, you know, just to build a world more accommodating, you know, to the, um, to people who have just dis- who have disabilities. And you no, know, just like I guess what 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 else? I think mostly that what I would say. And I think it as I, I as I learn and grow more from this, I feel like those those goals are definitely gonna increase and they're gonna definitely ex- expand, you know, as I get into the details. Do you what do you wish people understood about accommodations? What I wish people understood accommodations is that, and I know we had this conversation before, is that accommodations does not equal privilege. It's not the same. I say, what I say to remember is accommodation doesn't mean advantage. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. I, we were talking about this um, in like calculus because, you know, we weren't trying to do work, but <laughs> we were talking about like how people assume that because I get more test time. Remember, I get more test time and yeah. people assume that because I get more test time, I'm going to automatically pass. And I'm like, that's not true whatsoever. Mm-hmm. um because again I love to use this quote I mean I love you'll hear it like maybe once every season which is what TC said I could be really bad at really bad at math but if you give me more time it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to pass math like I'm like and I love that it just it works so well mm-hmm. I just think it's a perfect example and I just have I think it's funny that it happened to be in calculus <laughs> but Exactly. Like just because I get more time on my calculus test does not mean I'm going to pass my calculus test because I pass with like a 70. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not afraid to share my grade, but I'm like, I pass with like a 70, but it doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily understand calculus just because I got maybe like 30 more minutes for my for me. Or that's that's a little bit of a like an underestimate, but like more of just an example. Mm-hmm. I forgot to ask you, what is your major? <laughs> I think it's because I know it it's because I know it right I'm so sorry guys it's because I know it so I'm like oh I don't have to ask like no 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 what is your major and what are your hopes for your career um my major is environmental studies for the concentration and sustainability and if we're talking about minors as well then a chemistry minor but I'm still on the edge of that because y'all know chemistry is not the easiest (laughs) So, no, but still, woman in STEM. Woman in STEM. And what do you hope for your career? Hopefully, oh my God. Okay, hoping for my career is, you know, also um, creating a more inclusive space, you know, just like also for for women, all all women, honestly, um, because it can be terrifying, especially as, you know, being in those STEM classes, can be kind of nerve-wracking especially if people are looking down on you you know for being a woman in pursuing um your dream career not only being a woman but us being minorities yeah yeah people can um it feels like people have the right to look down even more on you but they thing is like hey we're both in the same class or we're both here you know to learn I understand that because I mean we bonded a lot about feeling outside it at the Paul. Like though the Paul is like diverse and has you have no idea how many times Emma has called out um privileged white boys in my defense because they were looking down on me for at the time start studying environmental science and be like, oh that's not a real science. Okay, <laughs> Emma didn't talk about. I just think that it's the fact that people think that I think that people have this mentality that you must follow their ideals when in reality their ideals don't matter to you because you're not them and that's how I actually started bonding because we both felt very outsided even though the pause diverse and they do their best you can still feel like an outsider being a minority and then being a woman and then like having that like bond to be able to be like oh, I'm kind of new. And then Diana being a freshman, I'm a junior. Like she was very much, it was her first class ever. And I was telling her, you need to study. <laughs> I had failed the class prior. So I retook it and I was like, study. 
I promise you, you are going to want to study. And it's simple stuff like that that just bonds people for life. And like, I think I don't even know how I started bonding with Katie because I remember Katie was very intimidating. And we talked about this before. Like, I remember Katie was very intimidated. Like, I was intimidated by Katie because she was not like, when she interviewed me, she was like, what can you do? And I was like, whoa, I don't know. Because <laughs> I was very new to disability advocacy. So I was like, um, I'm like, I could just learn. I can listen. I was like, that's the best I can I'm like, that's the best I can do right now. I'm like, but once I have maybe some sort of power, I can start making representation. And that's how it goes into my career. Cause I'm like, I'll represent all these types of like people because I'm not when I go and represent um whatever I'm representing in media. I don't see myself just representing Latino and women. I see myself representing LGBTQ. I see myself representing social economic classes. I see myself representing people with my same mindset and people who grew up in my barrio and someone who you can be like, that's my neighbor. That looks like my cousin. Because especially in Latino media, all we see is like white people, like people with European features and like that's the ideal. And I hope that now because and even growing up like with my dad I hope that it also becomes something with disability and being an advocate for those who even if they do have a voice for those voices who are not heard just yet exactly the voices who are not heard just yet the voices that need to be given especially a microphone okay because those are the voices that people will constantly try to silence but will eventually be heard no matter what and I feel like it is um Again, people um, just also let, like, just willing to let them be heard. Okay, now I'm going to ask you something. It's not controversial, I promise. It's more of like an insight. Do you feel that people, since you, your parents, or you do come from Latin American descent, mm -hmm. are your parents like, I'm not going to ask your parents like social status, but you have some sort of immigration in your family. Yeah. Do you feel that people who, immigrate to this country have a disability because they or have some sort of disability because they can't speak English because remember the word disability like means not able to like like disabled like not able so do you feel like they're hindered the thing about that it's just like once they learn the language does that mean that this I don't think that it's just like the disability the thing is that disabilities don't necessarily go away it's just like implying that once they learn the language like the disability will go away so I would so I wouldn't constitute it as a disability yeah no I understand that not for me like I think that so it's because some people like that go like I'm not gonna say like like I know them it's just like a like uh what is it hypothetical there's <laughs> some people who at DePaul could use like translators and stuff because they have a disability, like whether it's like you just can't speak English because my mom can't learn English and she's tried for seven years and she cannot speak a word of English. <laughs> but there are some people who like uh, will only view this as unless you're deaf, mm -hmm. you, you're not disabled. And I'm like, hmm, it just opens up my mind to think about things like this, because in my head, like, OK, yeah, of course, someone who's deaf has a disability because they're going to need a translator. But then in my head, I'm like, OK, well, what about someone who doesn't speak the language? Yeah, you know what? I've never thought of that question before. That's actually a really good question because you know, what if like maybe because again, you know, disability is not really something that we talk about within uh, you know our own American community. It's not exactly recognized. So maybe they do have a, a, disability. a disadvantage. 
you know what? Maybe they have a disadvantage. Maybe disability is not the proper word. But I, I like to think about things like this because I've noticed since doing the podcast, I ask myself questions like this all the time. And I can only thank Katie. I really can only thank her. I cannot wait for you to meet her. But I can only thank you. Shout out to Katie. <laughs> She's probably going to listen to it. But I can... I always think about questions like that because I look at it and I'm like, huh, I never considered my parents disabled when it comes to that or having a disadvantage. But again, disability and disadvantage, two different things, but more of like understanding how it works. Because for me, I can never understand what it's like to be deaf. I will never understand that unless I become like hard of hearing or deaf. But what I do understand is the part of translator because my parents don't speak English in an English-speaking country. And I know like people are like, America doesn't have a language. Right, America does not, the United States of America does not have an official language. Majority of like Americans speak English, majority. Mm-hmm. And especially like in school systems and stuff. And like, yes, they do amazing things with translation. But when you go to the hospital or when you go to like, like for me, when I go to the hospital, the first thing they do is speak to me in English. And that must be like so overwhelming. Like for my mom or my dad, who it's not their like even English not being my first language, but I speak it. Yeah, no, because like it's that where parents, um, just like even as little kids, they just bring you everywhere just so you could translate to them. Yes, over to them, and that kind of experience is like to us when we were younger, like oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, right? But using that experience, I cannot imagine what it's like for a deaf person. Because I'm playing, like, I'm not playing translator. I'm translating to my parents what they're saying, like legal documents, whatever, whatever they need, I'm translating. But then I cannot imagine not even having hearing to understand the translation and having to come up with a new language altogether that is not used. Like, it's not, I'm not gonna say it's not used, but not every American knows American Sign Language. And then to go, let's say you go overseas and you go to uh, like uh, Britain. And you have to use British Sign Language because American Sign Language isn't a thing. And then having to have an accommodator. But also, like, just in general, like, most of society is based on people who are able, right? So then having to take precautions, because if, for example, um, there is construction or something, we would hear it and we would turn. Or we would, like, see it and turn. But someone who is not... See, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. But some of the first few steps are to always learn and educate yourself before you can even speak on the topic. But that's why I like to talk about, especially like I noticed that uh, at least for the people I've talked about, I haven't talked to a lot of people about it. But from the people I've talked about, I noticed that they have a hard time understanding disability until I start using home situations. Like my brother who has a disability has a hard time understanding disability. And I think that's something that uh, I am proud that he's understanding a lot more of, but he was definitely having a hard time understanding. uh, Like, for example, he was having a hard time understanding why he was treated differently. Like, why was he in a different class? And then I showed him my material and he was like, I don't understand this. And, but then I showed him some of my English material. He's like, well, I understand this. And so I like showed him the example of like the math, just because you're not good at math and you get more time doesn't mean anything. It just means you need a little more time. And he was like, oh, okay, I understand that. Instead of him feeling alienated, he was like, oh, I'm getting accommodations for what I need, not advantages or like being singled out for having some sort of learning disability. 
And I think that's also like like my nephew. Uh, my cousin was very afraid to start medication with him, and he has like ADHD, which I I'm allowed to share this. I promise, I would never share something I'm not allowed to. But he has ADHD, and we were learning about. She was really like scared of medication, like really scared, because she saw me go through meds, and I was kind of zombieish, and you know. But I was explaining to her my meds are for depression. Your son meds are to help him process his thoughts because to us he may seem like super energetic but his brain may be so because he doesn't really talk about it I mean he's five so for him his brain may be so rapid thoughts that he can't even process anything and now he's like super calm and it's like this kid I never knew existed and in reality it's my nephew finally getting the accommodations he needed and I'm getting to know my nephew for the first time in five years because in my head, he was like this, in my head, he was a little bit of a hassle. Like I was like thinking like that. I'm like, oh, he's a hassle. He like, and that's me not realizing that he had a disability. Because I didn't know he had ADHD. He just got diagnosed. We didn't know that. We just thought he was super energetic and sometimes a little chaotic. We didn't even know the signs. It's also honestly like a pen. Okay, that's uh, interesting enough because uh, for my one of my finals and my, um, Latin psychology class. Well, we um I ended up picking how do how does uh, um auti- no not autism AD- ADHD um like uh, no ch- children of immigrant parents with ADHD specifically you know Latin Amer- Latin American parents that are living in the U S you know how are their needs met you know yeah. And- it's like yeah, the best the best way I learned that the best way you know to help them is to um through cult- through culturally adapted treatments you know not not make them feel as if just like oh my like like you're going crazy or anything like that yeah. it's just like you know also making them feel accepted within their own communities yeah, and that's something I noticed that a lot of like Latino uh, people who at least who have immigrant parents have experienced is the whole oh you're crazy. Like, oh, they're just hyperactive. Like, it, there's it, it goes further than that. Yeah, and like that was for my cousin, especially being a first time mom at the time, she was a team mom. So mm-hmm. she was like, obviously, she was working and getting her like high school diploma. So I was taking care of my nephew a lot and for free. Like, I did not care. I was like, drop him off while you go to work. I don't care. I don't have to watch him. And he would ransack my house, my entire house. I mean, every time he would come over, I knew I was going to have to clean. I knew. I already knew. I knew he was going to spread all his toys. We broke glass once. He had a tantrum and he broke glass. And I was like, okay. And I lost my cool. And I was like, I need you to go sit in the corner. He's like, I can't sit in the corner. I don't like sitting in the corner. And then my sister was like, Juanito, sit still. And she timed him. And that's when she was like, hmm, he can't sit still for 10 seconds. That's weird. Or not weird, but that's peculiar. It's different. It's not something. Like your, your sister like started recognizing the signs. Yeah. Mind you, not- my sister at the time had gone to a little, my sister, I say my first gen, but I'm probably like, my sister went to college yes but she remember mind you my sister was born in Mexico so you know I'm a first generation college student Mexican-American but my sister is like Mexican and she didn't get to finish because she was undocumented and you know FAFSA doesn't cover undocumented people at the time or even now they still don't but she was looking she was taking a class I think and she was like she told my cousin I think your son has ADHD you should get him tested and my cousin was like nah 
not right now. I don't really have time. I can't really do anything. And then I realized how scary that must be for a child that you have to rely on someone to recognize your disability signs. And then you have to rely on your parents to take action because my, like my nephew, my, my other, my sister's kid now that she's a mom. She definitely like, if he has any signs, she tells us therapist and she'll like get evaluations if he needs them. But at, like at the time when my, my other nephew was a baby around the same age as mine, my current nephew, the one that's downstairs, it wasn't that accessible and it wasn't that known. And now if I look up ADHD or ADD, I can definitely find um, millions of articles and like symptoms of parents. Or if I go on TikTok and I'm like, oh, parents with ADHD or like parents of autistic kids and so on, I can definitely find all these resources. But before, even like in maybe 2016 or whenever, whenever nephew was born, (laughs) um, it was more of like, it wasn't as talked about. And I think that's something I love seeing now. Like you can go on TikTok and find things. And it's like, you would think that a kid's app would teach you so much because people are now being able to videograph and just post their experiences in 15 seconds with some catchy music, but it catches your attention. And it's tailored for you. Like the literal thing is called the for you page. It's an algorithm. So if I want, like, I, I know Disability at the Ball has a TikTok and I'm on Disability Talk on that, on my phone, trying to get more information and to hopefully start promoting content on there. And it's just crazy to see how diverse the community is and it's insane like I still have a hard time being like I'm part of the community like in my head I'm like no 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 I'm just advocating for you guys because for so long I was like I don't have a disability and it's not like a whole like xenophobic thing it's more of like I just didn't think I had a disability I just I was like well it doesn't hinder my life and then it did now learning a new part about yourself yeah no just like well, do you have any final questions? I did have I did have this final question that you know again was heavily debated on, but I can't really seem to remember, and it sucks because I was like, wow, that was, would have been such a good question to ask. It's um, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's no more questions, this has been I Am Not Defined. As always, I'm your host, Emma. And thank you, Diana, for being here. I'm so excited to continue to work with you and develop our friendship, but as well as just to see you learn a lot more about disabilities because you're very passionate about it. Can you hear any barking? That's my dog. Don't mind him. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's very low. But uh, um, thank you so much, Emma, for having me. And honestly, for these questions, um, Katie wrote them or? Uh, me and Katie together. These questions that we're asking you know, by both of you guys, like they really honestly like make me think, you know, these are questions that I feel like should be asked to, about, to everyone, at least like once in their life to get them thinking about like, wow, like what, what can I do? Again, like same questions that you asked because it may seem like a small question, but it, re- it really gets you thinking about the things that you have been doing and the things that you can do. One thing I always say is uh, no question is small. But similar, it's like this quote that a drama teacher used to say, there are no small roles, only small actors. Same thing. There are no small questions, only people who have limited mentalities.
Well, we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> I know I was already doing the outro, but we'll see you in the next episode. And we're so hopefully Katie will be back and we're excited to just spend season two with you guys. Oh, I guess this would be my last question. What do you hope for disability to Paul? And what do you hope for season two of I Am Not Defined? Okay, what do I hope for disability at DePaul? Honestly, I hope that more students know about the resources because even though uh, DePaul is, you know, one of the best countries, one of the best countries, one of the best universities in the country <laughs> um, to help accommodate their students, I feel like the resources are still not um, all that well known. So, you know, just like uh, getting it out there, like you have the resources, you know, like uh, just click on that web page, okay? And, uh, um, what I hope for is honestly to be able to talk about topics that are trendy and also in a way how do they correlate with stability, such as straws, because straws actually have a correlation with disabilities that I did not know about. And until I, you know what? Maybe we'll have you back and you can educate us on it because we do have a lot of history episodes. And mm -hmm. we like to like discuss stuff like that. Uh, so if that's something you're passionate about, you want to come back and you can tell me and Katie about it. Yeah, let me just get educated more so on this topic first and then we can talk about it more. That, that, that's that's going to be in season two, I promise. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us on I Am Not Defined. As always, I'm your host, Emma. And Diana, thank you for being on the show. Uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you.